Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Overpowering Emotion, where I talk all things anxiety, big emotions, emotion regulation. I'm in my back to school series talking about all the anxiety related things to school, and I'm continuing part two of looking at school refusal, school avoidance. And again, just as a reminder, looking specifically at anxiety that's induced from school and kiddos who are refusing to go to school and I shouldn't say refusing I hate that word like I said last time but avoiding school because of anxiety not because they'd rather be doing something else right where they really are refusing to go to school these kiddos are struggling with anxiety today I want to talk a little bit more about the intervention I can't get into every treatment here it's really an overview because there's so much to go through in a podcast if you want a deep dive though get in-depth training I do have my anxiety compass training. I've got it for parents. I also have one for professionals and consultations around it as well, just implementing it. But I'm also going to have an upcoming school refusal workshop later on in the fall. So make sure you check out the details for specifically the school refusal workshop because I think that this specific topic, it really is. It's a psychiatric crisis that we need to get on top of right away. Um, There's a few things we need to address though. Like I said, I'm going to do the overview if you want a deep dive I will be getting into specific sort of plans but we need to make sure that we have a comprehensive school-based approach to be able to manage the individual child's needs right because we're we got to make sure if there are underlying needs whether it's learning needs or issues with bullying or whatever it is especially with learning needs we got to make sure they've got inclusive support and and so whether it's socially emotionally academically they need that inclusive support And especially even just the school phobia piece, even if there are no other underlying pieces, we need to make sure we've got that inclusive support just to be able to address the school phobia. We need to make sure we're taking a trauma-informed approach too. That's going to be important for all kiddos, but especially these kiddos with really complex sort of severe anxiety. Now, unfortunately, most school personnel don't know how to support children's mental health challenges. I do a lot of PD training, which is fantastic, but a lot of them are really struggling with that and they're not sure of how to respond in really helpful ways. And so they end up responding in harming ways, especially when they focus too much on outcomes and attendance and getting caught up in homework, right? Versus what's actually going on for the child. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I work with teachers all the time and and, and budget cuts and you know, keeping on top of the curriculum and addressing the other 28 kids in the class who all also have their own needs. I get it. So we, we got to find strategies that are going to be helpful, successful class-wide, but really being able to make sure that this child is also getting their needs met. And usually a lot of the things when I go in and do consultations with schools, I am giving sort of class-wide recommendations and focusing on the connection, which is going to be for all kids. I remember getting letters home, um, you know, so these are things, you know, maybe at a bigger level that schools can start thinking about. So whether you're a parent um, who can maybe advocate, um, if you're an educator who can share this with the school, if you're a mental health professional consulting with schools, um, with kiddos who aren't going to school, you know, let's raise awareness. How can we get this message out there? Because we need to think about how are we working with parents. So I personally was getting letters from my kid's school. Your child has missed more than 10% of school and this needs to be taken seriously. And it had a very harsh tone to it. And even last year, we ended up going, my long story, we went on holidays 
we're leaving work, school two weeks early before school let out for the summertime. And even in the document that we had to fill out was, you know, you're robbing your children of important learning opportunities. How are you going to make this up? It can be very stress provoking and overwhelming. Fortunately for me, I'm like, you know what, these, we are going to learn about Nazi Germany, and we are going to learn about the Berlin Wall and blah, 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 blah. So I was able to put that out. But it's really easy to get on sort of defense, right, and become defensive and just like, I'm just trying to take care of my kids. So whenever we, we get those lectures and have gone on trips in the big lecture that your kids are being school. I mean, it can be really unsettling, A, in how it's addressed, and then we're starting to like feel anxiety about it, which isn't helpful. No matter what the cause, no matter what where things are at now, this kiddo's relationship with the important adults in their life at home and school, so parents and teachers, that's the most important piece to focus on. And so we want to make sure that that relationship is, is not disrupted and the parent to teacher relationships important too we don't want to disrupt that with blamingness and i had already talked about that right we want to make sure that that relationship's strong because that's what's going to make or break our success with getting a kiddo back into school your relationship and connection with the child is always going to be more important whether or not they go to school so we want to make sure that they focus on that so we don't want to be harping them or their parents or whatever about, you know, especially parents harping on their kiddos about going to school, because I think that that's just going to disrupt it and make it more overwhelming. So I talked last time about the Youth Mental Health Canada study, and there's uh, several things that came from that that parents identified as being important that I want to talk about as well, because we do want to understand the parent's perspective. And even if you are a parent, this is really helpful. Now, obviously, not all of these are going to be immediately feasible, but they're important to think about, right? We can start thinking about how can we help support these children and and have them be successful. Of course, having a support team in school that they can work with to support their child, so important. Um, Ones that I know aren't going to be feasible everywhere is having smaller class sizes, right? All parents think that that's going to be helpful for their kiddo anyway, but especially these kiddos, they're really concerned about the class size, Um, as well as the reduced workload, right? The expectations for students, so reducing the amount of work and expectations, especially once they come back into school, but just in general, like, Let's loosen up some of the homework. So those are things that parents were really finding sort of unsettling that that was hard for them too. Um, Some parents also, though, acknowledged having some responsibility that their kiddos had before classes started as being helpful so that they had something to look forward to. And that's usually something that I do recommend anyways, right? So rather than always focusing on the goodbyes, which I'll be talking about, is what can they look forward to, especially an important job where they're feeling like they contribute. Because the more they feel like they can contribute, they feel like they belong, right? I'm just gonna list off some of the needs that Youth Mental Health Canada identified for students, Um, not just for students, but their families and schools, things that they need to get into um, just to be able to target some of the social phobia and some of the avoidance. Um, And I'll have a link to the survey in the show notes for you to access as well, just so that you've got that and can look at it. So some of the things that they were looking at, so what students need, informed support of their mental health disabilities, Uh, comprehensive needs-based educational accommodations and psychoeducational assessments can be really helpful with that. An education support team where they're working together to support the families and the child. Just having school-based awareness and effective responses to their mental health needs and what their issues are and how can we address those 
helpfully, a comprehensive support and reentry plan, compassionate awareness of and response to school-induced anxiety and phobic disorders. That's so important. We have to have that compassion. I know it can get frustrating and overwhelming for everybody, but we really want to make sure that we are compassionate and not blamey or even like subtly, right? Like, wow, you've missed a lot of work. You got all this stuff to catch up on. Or even like you don't want to miss out school again because you're going to miss out on more learning and you're going to fall further behind. Like that's just anxiety provoking. Um, to know that they're not going to be punished for their anxiety, for their inability to attend school, for not completing assignments and homework, not catching up on missed work. Now, obviously, we got to make sure that eventually in a work plan, and I'll be talking about this, we need to keep making forward progress. We can't just take out all expectations and they never have to do work again but we're gonna go slowly at their pace they need to feel included supported understood and valued um, whether they are present or or absent from school and i'll be talking a lot about that when i get into the interventions um families what families need people to respond to their kiddos issues of school phobia with compassion but also action for parents to feel listened to and validated, supported, included, um, to be part of their children's learning team, you know, that they're valued as part of that team, to lead and guide the interventions and the support so that they can address their kids' phobia. I see this all the time, even with IPPs, where teachers are creating the IPPs and then parents are getting it and like, none of this is even addressing anything that my kiddo needs. So parents being involved in that's gonna be really important. Um, not to, you know, they don't want to feel judged or criticized or blamed or shamed. There's enough of that for a lot of parents anyways. I'm not feeling punished for their kiddos' disabilities. Not to be penalized. No punitive action for their kiddos' anxiety. Um, funding support. I know that's not always feasible. I'm not feeling pressured to take their kiddo from school and home to school. Um, and schoolwork home with them to be aware of what the schools are doing to support their kiddo that's really important for them to be included in all the meetings that are discussing their kiddo's education and their academics and things like that there's also things that they identified that the school needed so schools need to learn really effective accommodation strategies so compassion how can we respond to kiddos who are struggling with anxiety and experience school phobia effectively right um how do we make sure that we're not contributing to the stigma discrimination that that might be there for the anxiety and school absenteeism having policies and procedures in place that have you know they're addressing the the assessment needs that kiddos have their concerns their strengths how can we have thoughtful support good solid re-entry plans clear direction to all school staff transparency to families focusing on motivators to encourage access to school you know so maybe there's early morning school responsibilities you know, at the library or the office, um, making sure how do we address any of the fears and the school anxiety, encourage strengths, responsibility, autonomy, being flexible, identifying ways to support students, being proactive and responding to kiddos' anxiety, um, identifying how do we increase our awareness of mental health and wellness in the school environment and school phobia issues, 
all of those things can be really important. Seeking outside support from professionals um, and making sure that we're, you know, following disability human rights policies. So that's some of the accommodation strategies for the school, but there's also attendance strategies. So maybe developing an attendance code supported by research, um, creating new legal attendance absence codes that, that measure the scale of chronic absenteeism because of school phobia. So it's not just your child has missed 10% of school and you're going to be punished, right? It's it's just alleviating some of that threat of prosecution to parents. Um, being able to document, especially long uh, absences and understanding the, the breadth of the problem. And then, of course, the mental health disability awareness, right? Providing training for school staff on school phobia, understanding and accepting the complexity of issues to consider for each child using language that's not stigmatizing for them. So those are a list of some of those things. I will send you guys, or I'll put it in the show notes, that link if you want to look further. I addressed, you know, a lot of the key pieces here, but let's get into what to actually do. First of fall I talked about my resilience pyramid I'll include that in the show notes again if you've missed it in previous episodes that I've talked about it but we always you know the individual kiddo factors are always last I never see kids on their own got to make sure the environment is set up first right and so the first piece is setting up the environment right where we are looking at that we're working on the environment first so that we are creating the safety and trust that the kiddos need to do the hard work that they're going to do setting them up for success for when they do have to do really hard stuff right before we focus on their work so of course adults need to be able to regulate their emotions and not get caught up in their anger or frustration or their own anxiety and I see both spectrums where it's like just go to school everybody else is going I'm fed up I'm late I gotta get to work right we get frustrated or it's like are you gonna be okay oh my gosh like I better stay here this is really serious right if if parents or teachers are responding emotionally it's only going to fuel the student's anxiety so in the moment if you feel like you can't emotionally remain calm anger or your own anxiety otherwise then take team out, right? Take team out, take a break. (laughs) Just don't engage right now. I do a whole episode on parent traps. Definitely check those out. And that's true for teachers as well. And mental health professionals. I also have, you know, mental health professional traps that we fall into. Things though, just off the top, you know, avoiding catastrophic or shaming language. Our words are so influential on our kids. So don't tell them that they're going to be homeless and a complete failure in life. That's not going to be helpful, right? If they don't go to school, that's not helpful. We got to make sure we've got that thorough understanding of what's going on for them. Knowing their learning needs as well as their social emotional needs, that's really important. But we also want to focus on their strengths and what they're interested in because we need to capitalize on those as well. We want them feeling motivated, right? And so we want to focus on things that they enjoy and are good at, raise the dopamine in their brain. If we can spike some dopamine in their brain as they're doing things that they're enjoying, that's going to reinforce the brain. And guess what? They're going to do more of it. So we want to make sure we're doing that. We also want to focus on their past successes, right? And and even successes getting closer and closer to school. We want to celebrate those. So even if you don't get to school, have them track their anxiety levels. We naturally habituate. That's natural, right? We don't want to make it the outcome. We want to get them to they can tolerate going to school even though they don't know if they're going to throw up, even though they're feeling anxious, right? but they can start noticing their normal habituation. Okay, so we can tell them, hey, 
remember, like you always go to, you always put up a fight, go into swimming lessons, but then you get there and you always have so much fun. They're always going to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. They're never actually going to listen. But maybe through their own experience and their own tracking, they can come to that realization themselves. Okay, we're going to notice how strong is anxiety right now before going to school. 10, awful, like panic attack. I'm going to throw up right now. There's no way I can go. One, super easy, not a problem at all. As they go to school through the day and at the end of the day, where is that anxiety now? Just so they can start seeing, oh, look, it actually does increase or decrease. It does get better. Conversely, even if it's a 10 all the way and they do throw up and they do get embarrassed and all these bad things happen, even if it's a 10, they still survived it. Oh my goodness, you survived a 10 all day long. How the heck did you manage that? We can always focus on the successes, right? They might notice that the anxiety weakens through the day. We can't ever tell them that. They need to learn it for themselves, right? And so then they can start self-coaching it too. Wow, I lived through 10 and these awful things. Like half the school burnt down. I threw up. People were laughing at me, right? If I can do that, I can do anything. The brain also wants us to forget anything that we've done successfully. So we want to talk about the times they have been successful and get them bringing up. Hey, remember the first time you went to roller derby? What were you feeling then, right? We're getting asking them questions so that they can process that, right? And 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 how did you get there? Because I know you were super super nervous about that, right? Talk about what was the funnest time in school? Not in the heat of the moment when they're trying to beg us not to go to school. right? Because then we're trying to convince them otherwise and they'll see right through us. But just through the day, what was the funnest part of your school? Oh, I remember in grade four, right? What was the most embarrassing part that's actually funny now in grade five or whatever it is? Having those conversations all the time is so important. Even if you're frustrated, right? And you feel like you're going backwards, you just want to keep focusing on the successes. And in each little, little movement, millimeter, centimeter forward right even if it's they just put on their shoes today they didn't get out the door but they put on their shoes today or even just one shoe yes you did it you're one step ahead from yesterday right definitely having more compassion validation support these kiddos need that i keep talking about the relationship and all the work that i do and the and and that's true here right we want to build that trust build that relationship you understanding what's going on is so important and even more importantly that that child is feeling like okay you understand how tough this is you understand what i'm going through because they're gonna fight they're gonna fight back they're gonna hold on to their anxiety if they feel like you don't understand you don't know how hard it is you don't know how overwhelmed i am you don't know how stressful it is they're gonna hold on to it even if you've got a good point, even if you are listening, right? If they don't feel like you are, they're going to hold on to it. Even if they were already letting it go, they're going to hold on to it more. So we want to make sure we're validating, acknowledging those stressors, you know, saying like, it's so hard being a kid. I'm saying that to my girls all the time, man, the stuff you guys go through, it's so hard being a kid these days. They're like, yeah, even though I'm like, all right, I dealt with this 20 million times as I grew up. That's not going to be helpful to them. That's so minimizing, right? We want to validate their stressors and their experiences. And by really taking that time to listen to them. And when you do that, you might already start hearing some of the solutions to help support them if, you, if they feel like you're listening to them and, and hearing them. But when we show that validation and empathy on the one hand, we're still using confident language on the other. And I've talked a lot about this. This is what an effective response to anxiety is. So supportive, like, yeah, no wonder you're stressed about going to school. That's a lot. 
So how are you going to handle it, right? There's still the expectation you're still going to school. So we're not saying if you go to school tomorrow, you're going to say when you go to school tomorrow, how are you going to handle that? Even if they haven't been in nine months, every day, you're still going to be talking like tomorrow is the day they're going back to school. Avoid any vague comments like it'd be really good if you could go. Be firm about the expectation you're going tomorrow. And when you go tomorrow, what are you going to do? When you go tomorrow, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to drop you off. I'm leaving at 8.30 if you want to ride, right? Don't ask them how they're doing in the morning because they're often going to say, oh, I'm not feeling good, right? Maybe it wasn't even in their head. We don't even want to put the thought in their head. Don't ask them how they're doing or what they're thinking about school today, right? That's already putting you in a bind. Keep any talk about the physical symptoms or the anxiety to a minimum. You don't want to get trapped in the content of that. Definitely don't initiate it. If they bring it up, you can say, yeah, that makes sense you feel that way. Oh, you got a headache. Yeah, that's because your lungs are you're breathing more when you're anxious. This is what happens in your body, right? And so now you're feeling headachey and dizzy because you're not breathing properly. That makes sense. That's what your body's doing. Or wow, your amygdala is really trying to freak you out today. Wow. It's really trying to make you feel sick. That's why teaching about anxiety in the brain, that's always so important, right? We can't just say that if they have no context. Like, what are you talking about, amygdala? We always want to teach them about the brain, how anxiety works, how it shows up, how it's important, but how it also is like a mischief maker, like Loki causing problems. I talk about that all in previous episodes. So go back, listen to those foundation pieces those episodes if you haven't listened to previous episodes it's so important that we're teaching our kids about the brain and anxiety in the first place I'm just kind of jumping ahead a little bit in my anxiety compass right I always say understand that's the first piece and kids need to understand as well um similarly you don't want to ask yes no questions you don't want to leave any opportunities for them to push back against you so in the in the morning example so what do you think are you going to go to school today right? We want to stay positive. Don't give that choice. Always expect that tomorrow or today is the day that they're going to go to school. So instead of asking them, hey, bud, what do you think? Are you feeling like school? It's going to be exciting. Instead, be like, okay, kiddo, rise and shine. Time to get up. Time to get ready for school. They might not go to school. They might still push back, but we're always showing that confidence and the expectation that they are. We're still packing their lunches or them packing their own lunches, right? We're still doing our regular school night routines, our school morning routines, even if they're pushing back. We're getting them to focus on one step of the routine all the way to getting to school. Let's go eat breakfast. Okay, let's go get dressed. Let's go brush your teeth, brush your hair. Let's pack your backpack, right? Let's get your shoes on. And each step is something you can praise and reinforce. Dude, look at how many steps you got to school today. The more we can highlight those successes, the more confidence they're going to feel. And even if they aren't getting to school, we still want them connected. Okay, so we're still doing those routines all the way up to they decide they don't. Well, I said I'm leaving at 830. That's why it's really important for you to set those boundaries and expectations. I am leaving at 830 on the dot, right? I'm not staying home. So this is these are going to be the things. If you want to stay home and they're like, no, I'm not coming. Okay, cool. The plan was grandma's going to come and make sure that you follow through with your chores or whatever right maybe not don't do anybody fun um you know I think for my little one certain people would be super reinforcing whereas for my older one that would be more traumatizing so like I'll just go to school right so definitely you want the little non-preferred person to come if anybody's going to help um 
But even if they don't go to school, and especially if it's been time and time, days, turn into weeks, turn into months, we want to make sure they're feeling connected. So making sure they're still doing extracurriculars. Like if they still want to play on the basketball team at school, still let them play basketball at school, even if they're not going to class. We don't want to say, well, that's it. You can't be part of the club, the chess club anymore, right? If they're still, even if you don't go to school, bud, do you still want to work on the yearbook? right? If we can get them still involved in extracurriculars, I mean, if it has to be outside dance and hockey or whatever else, that's fine. We still want them doing something, but ideally somehow connected to school. We definitely want to make sure they're still seeing their friends. Those things are so important. And depending on where you live, ideally, if it's feasible, having someone from the school pop in, like the teacher swinging by their house and being like, hey, bud, thinking about you, the class is thinking about you, that can go such a long way. It's ensuring that they know that they still belong, people are still thinking about them, they're still cared for, that's so critical. And on that note, you know, I'd even enlist other parents' help. You know, so if Susie is your kiddo's best friend or if you're working with families or teachers, like you can, these are things that you can be uh, recommending to families, get, get their parent, get Susie's parents to come. They're going to come. Kate, today you're going to go to school. Susie's mom's coming at eight o'clock. Again, we can't force them to go to school, but we're still going to have that expectation. But Susie's mom is going to come pick you up. Every Tuesday, Thursday now, right? Or every day, right? Or Susie is going to walk and call on you and and come and get you to take you to school. That might be more appealing for everyone and easier for everyone too. So those are things. It's just thinking outside the box, right? Making sure that they're feeling connected, that they feel important, that they feel like they belong, that they can do the school, everything that they need to do. Um, and looking at the family needs. Where are they struggling? What support do they need for helping their kiddos? If separation anxiety, and last week I, I or two weeks ago, I talked about separation anxiety. So do check that one out. Maybe it's having another adult do the drop off or taking care of the kiddo in the morning just to get them to go back to school. I think that those things can be really helpful. So we're listening to the kids. We're listening to the families. What's going on for them? That's really important, making sure that those needs are addressed and individualized, right? And by listening, I really can't stress enough, we want to make sure they feel that that you're listening and that they feel connected and heard. And we want to maintain, while we're listening and validating, like, oh man, it makes sense that you're feeling that way. We're also maintaining that no choice option. Missing school is never an option, especially for these kiddos. So we might still be working on re-entry. We never want to send the message that missing school is okay. Never, ever, 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 right? Our goal is always to get them back into school as fast as possible. So we're not waiting. Okay, let's not talk about this. We'll just wait till after the holidays. Never an option, okay? So there's a few things that we need to set up to, to be able to optimize success getting them to school. So even though we know there's a need for students to feel connected to school, most of the kiddos receive outside professional help. Very few kiddos actually get support from where they need it, school, and specifically school administrators. Even in my own work, um, I've had the most success. So I see lots of kiddos with school refusal, but I'm always working with the school. It can't be me and the child. can't be me and the parents and the parents and the child. I have to be able to work with the school to be successful. And the places where I've had the most success, I'm working with the whole school team. It's not just the teacher. Teacher is still good, better than nothing, but I want to get administration involved in well. Is there um, a 
a family liaison person, school guidance counselor, administrators, teachers, anybody that we can get involved, we want to have that team. And that's where I'm most successful. So we want to make sure, you know, if, if you're a parent, Am I getting outside help? Is that outside help consulting with the school? Because that's where they need the support the most. And so I'm doing a lot of consultations, even just with teachers and administrators, how you're going to respond. When we set up the plan, it's not just for the students' re-entry. It's also how is everybody going to respond in different situations, right? Um, And of course, they have to have a trusted adult or several adults in the school. I don't care if it's the classroom teacher. Maybe it's the secretary. Maybe it's the janitor. I've talked about the janitor for my daughter's school that's her person that's her her main person that's okay the student should choose that person it's the student who feels comfortable and who their trusted person is not who we think they have a good relationship right it's important that all school staff is fully aware of the students difficulties and what's going on and how to support them and how to follow through and follow re-entry plans especially if a kid is a younger kid who's running down the school you know and a different teacher has to intercept like everybody needs to be able to respond in helpful ways um sometimes it is I, I don't like a lot of accommodations but sometimes we have to have a pass that they can just use with no questions asked right at first we always want to make sure that we're working on skills so it's not just giving them accommodation where they can have a pass and you know never come back into class at at all that's not it we're still working on skills we're still increasing our expectations of course but maybe that's an important first step just to get the momentum going and that's going to be really important but unfortunately you know we expect the school to be able to help manage but like I said before very few school people actually have any training for mental health difficulties and specifically for school phobia and a lot turn to blaming the child or or blaming the, the 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 whole family for not coming so there has to be training and even if it's you know I see that as my job it's not me fixing the kid it's us working together as a family me consulting with those teachers so they know how to respond effectively right teaching about the brain all of that's going to be really important I do a lot of school training so you can reach out if you want, but but even in my work. So if you're a mental health professional or a teacher, you got to make sure you're collaborating, right? And that you're you're supporting everyone. Um, when we look at that research done in Canada that I've mentioned a few times, there there you know there's few students who were involved still in school extracurricular activities, but not very many. And so when we think about, okay, relationship is important, getting the right support in school, which wasn't happening in school is important. We also want to make sure that they feel like they're involved in school. Not very many kids are actually involved in school. Me and my husband were just talking about this last night, just because I keep hearing a lot of messages from my high school daughter who's like, I'm ready to drop out. She's grade 11. I'm ready to drop out. The day I turn 16, I'm dropping out. Um, Teachers are torturing us and want us to hate school, counting down the days, right? 280 some days of school before it's done. Like just, ah, every day is such a challenge. So I'm concerned. These are all the signs, right? That I'm really concerned. And so knowing that being involved in the school and extracurricular activities is a main protective factor. Fortunately, I've seen, you know, they had um, a football game and barbecue the very first or second day of school she was involved in that so that made me happy but I'm reflecting back she's never been involved you know they they didn't have patrols 
which didn't make sense to me, but they didn't have patrols in her elementary that she could be a part of. She didn't get involved in junior high at all. And well, COVID really affected a lot of that and she's never involved. And so last night I was talking to my husband, you know, what extracurricular uh, extracurricular activities were you involved in? He's like, none ever. I'm like, how did you like school? I hated it. Right. And then I thought for me, I loved school and I was involved in, I don't remember clubs in elementary, but I was patrols. I do remember I was part of that. And then you've got perks, right? You got to go on extra trips and field trips for patrol appreciation. Uh, in junior high, I was on every sports team. I can't remember if I was in any clubs. I don't think I was, but for sure the sports team. So you've got that connection. You're wearing your team jersey, your team color, your team colors. You're part of that, right? Um, high school, I was involved not so much the first couple of years, but in grade 12, I was part of the student council. So huge roles, right? I was part of school and I love school. And I do think that that's a piece. And even just looking at, you know, in the United States, there's such great team spirit and you see it in the movies and it's really I think sometimes maybe in um uh sensualized where it's this high ideal but we just went down to Kalispell one day it's not very far from um where we go for a summer and we went shopping so just in northern Montana and it was I think like two or three weeks before school started and there was a band out front, a huge school band, marching band. And my youngest daughter was like, what's going on? Like, what are they rioting? She thought that there was a riot happening. And me and my older daughter knew like, no, no, like that's a school band. So they're already getting prepped, you know, wearing their school colors, getting excited. And we don't, we don't have that here. Right. And I think that there's some places that really do have that great school spirit and how can we get our kids involved? And actually I do another podcast with my husband and this is going to be a topic. How do we get our kids involved? in the school community but if you are a teacher or a school administrator how can you get your kids involved right in those activities now if you're a parent most of the kiddos who had school phobia and felt disconnected from school the majority of them actually had outside activities so they were still involved in extracurricular activities it just wasn't with the school the successful kiddos who are in school and who like school are engaged in school they have a strong sense of community and they're actively involved in school clubs teams whatever it is so we really want to focus on that sense of community and belonging and it's not forcing them to go to extracurricular activities but maybe it's how can we do that in our classroom or in our school um one thing in junior high that i loved was surprise dances we'd have them every so often it just brought us together and pep rallies and like there was just so many fun things that I don't see happening with my kiddos so you know I think it's just thinking about thinking outside the box peer supports that can be really helpful too. building that sense of belonging ideally someone older or someone who has similar has had similar challenges in the past can be really helpful but even you know maybe if you're a teacher getting each of the students to be responsible to remember somebody else's birthday whether it's in the class or maybe it's another teacher in the school right those kinds of things can be really helpful they feel like they belong and they're they're doing something meaningful they're making meaningful contributions to the classroom to the school it's important it's valued all of that's so helpful 
in my school refusal workshop that I'm going to be doing later on in the fall, watch out for it. Uh, I actually talk a lot about promoting that connection, promoting pro-social emotions and exactly how to foster that you know, um, and I'll be going into specific strategies to get that piece going, how we can promote connection and pro-social emotions, because our emotional brain is so much stronger than our prefrontal cortex executive functioning. And, and our executive functioning can actually, those skills can actually make things worse. And so I talk a lot about that and, and how we can use our emotional brain to our advantage. So definitely check out uh, my school refusal workshop that I'll be talking about. Now, a lot of students have interests, strong interests. Almost all the kids that I've worked with have had some interest. Now, unfortunately, media technology has sort of diminished a lot of that. You know, they just want to play their video games, but that's still an interest. You know, a lot of them have some passion or some pastime. So we do want to focus on the things that interest them. What motivates them? How do we incorporate that to help change how they feel about school? I know one of my, my daughters, teachers um, was fantastic at this you know so she knew one of the kids was having learning challenges loved animals so she was always incorporating animals into math lessons or reading lessons to keep the engagement I actually just talked with the principal when she was starting out as a teacher she was getting one of those kids right all the previous teachers like oh my goodness I can't believe you've got Stewie in your classroom right oh my gosh so she found out, well, what, what does he love? What is he interested in? And she, and she found out that he loves skateboarding. So she learned all that she could about skateboarding so she could build on that relationship. So looking for those ways of how do we create that connection? So whether you're a mental health professional, teacher, or parent, you know, how can we make those connections? Making school enjoyable, creating a positive energy around school, that's really important. So we want to make sure school is far more appealing than being at home. Okay, so there's a few things that we can do. Starting with school in the first place, like I said, where my daughter is like, there's only two, there's already 280 days. I'm never going to survive it. And teachers are making school so awful. They're trying to make students like that's not good, right? That's not good. It's so disheartening. I do a lot of those PD trainings just on how to make curriculum a little bit more engaging. You don't have to do anything big. Just make predictions at the beginning of your class. It'll take two seconds to add that in, right? It's it's not more, much more than what you already need to do. But I, I, I know I need to be careful, you know. Um, I've always implemented mental health days, especially go skiing. It's kind of self-serving for me because my girls wouldn't give up a weekend to go skiing with me, but maybe a mental health day. Um, but now I'm finding my, my oldest daughter, she's finding every excuse to not be at school. So I don't offer them to her anymore. So we got to be careful, right? Mental health day is fantastic for a kiddo who's not already anxious, not already, you know, avoiding school. My daughter has never been there, but now I know in the back of my mind, I got to start being careful. And so maybe it's focusing on PD days instead that we she can plan around the PD day and really setting parameters about what's acceptable to, to, to miss school for. So she's declared that she's taking um, the first class of October 21st off because there's a new album coming out for a band that she loves and it's being released that day. And she's like, I got to listen to it immediately. So I got to be careful. Like that's not really an acceptable reason to miss a class, especially a class that you don't like. So we just got to be careful and start setting those parameters as as best as we can early on. But then at home too, right? At the home front, we want to make the home awful to stay at if they're supposed to be at school. It sounds awful, but we got to do that because if school is is 
worse than staying at home. We want to make sure home is way worse than going to school. So even my own girls who are like, I need a break from school. And I saw it a little bit last year. And she's like, I just, my high school daughter last year was like, I need a break from school. I'm just going to take a day. I'm like, cool, awesome. But I've got some work for you to do. So I've got this box of shredding that you need to do while you're here. And she's like, never mind, I'll just go to school, right? So if they do stay home, there's still expectations. Okay, I'm, you're keeping the school routine. You're not sleeping in. You're getting up at the same time. You're eating breakfast. You're getting ready, showered, dressed, right? So all of that, there's no lounging. Um, whatever they do on a normal day, we're going to structure it as much as possible. Getting them to do work, any work that they're missing, missing any extra homework that they need to do. I give them really sucky chores, right? Um even little things like I make sure that there's no access to treats at home. Any awesome lunches and snacks, that's for school only. So if you got to take it with you to go to work, I know it's a lot of work for you, but truly, we don't want to make home appealing to them at all because it's just going to reinforce. Yeah, I'm going to stay home. It's way better. Taking away video controllers, whole devices, make home boring so that they're like, fine, I may as well just go to school, right? And as part of the re-entry, it's going to be important to work with kiddos to create that timetable and workload. And we're going to be getting into the exposure. This is already kind of long, so I'm breaking it up even more um, in, in interventions. I'm going to be getting into the skills that they need to learn when we're looking at school refusal, as well as you know what some of those re-entry plans look like. And that's something that we want to work collaboratively with them. They're creating that timetable and they're helping us figure out what the workload, um, you know, what's going to feel manageable for them to be able to get back into class. And again, we're always making progress. We're always teaching skills and stretching beyond our comfort zone. I think that that's important for us to really stress here. So I'm going to leave it there for today. Thank you for joining me. Next time I will go into part three of school refusal where I really focus specifically on the skills to teach and a little bit more about the exposure and re-entry into school, especially for those kiddos who haven't been in school. Thank you for joining me. Go help those kiddos be bold and courageous and I will see you next time.